Well, like Pastor Evan said, we've known each other for a couple years, and I, I thank you for the invitation to come and share. Uh, I am Jason Kirsch. I lead Nebraska Christian Leaders Forum. My wife, Denisha, is able to be here this morning, which is a treat for me, because as uh, much as I've traveled over the years, there's quite a few times where I am there on my own. Uh, well, not on my own, but ministering without her uh, in the, in the uh, congregation. So um, let's, let's just uh, throw up the couple of pictures that I, that I gave you and uh, do that instead. So Evan uh, mentioned earlier that uh, we've, we've connected over uh, a prayer gathering that we, we started a couple years ago. And uh, as we've done that, we've been uh, inviting pastors and ministry leaders primarily um, from the city to be able to come together, pray for each other, and pray for the city. Uh, one of the questions that was asked as we started this and we were beginning to uh, decide, okay, what is it the Lord is, is needing us to do in Lincoln? One of the pastors asked, when was the last time uh, some of the pastors in the city have, have received ministry themselves? When was the last time that they received ministry from another pastor? And the question you know, comes up when we, when we say that of, what, what, yeah, we hadn't thought about that. Who does pray for our pastor? Who ministers to our pastors? So as we come together as leaders in this city, we take that time every month uh, to gather together and be able to pray for each other, pray for the, the needs, the issues, the stuff going on in life, uh, but also pray about the bigger picture things of what's taking place in the city. So uh, if you want to put up a picture real quick. So this picture was just uh, two months ago, I believe. Uh, you can see there was a good group of uh, pa pastors and ministry leaders there. And I don't remember where Evan's at in the picture. Uh, or You're not in that one? I, I picked the wrong picture then. Okay. There are, you are in other pictures. Let's go ahead and go to the next one. So this is a pastor's luncheon we did last uh, fall. We're going to be doing another one next month. And you are in this picture. I can see you in the blue shirt on the right. Yeah, so uh, we, had, we had about 54 pastors from the city come together uh, where we were talking about relationship and the need that the leaders be connected to the, and work together uh, for the good of the city. Go ahead to the next one. Uh, we've done trainings uh, here in Lincoln and across the state. This training specifically was for pastors and leaders and for the community on identifying the signs of sex trafficking, uh, something that we don't think about too much. We've also done some other trainings, one of them being uh, the 3D gospel. How do we address the gospel as so it can be received in the different cultural connotations as we have different worldviews so that the Western mindset and the Western ideas of how we view scripture and how scripture talks to us, how do we relate that to somebody who has an Eastern uh, mindset or a tribal mindset or those kind of things. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, this uh, is Senator Clements and his wife, Peggy. We work not just with pastors and ministry leaders, but we really work to see the body of Christ come together in all areas of society. So we work at a state capitol. We work with government leaders here in the city and in different cities across the state. And then sitting next to him is a pastor from western Nebraska, Pastor Bill. There were they were able to have a really good conversation and encourage each other and actually have some ministry time while we were at a banquet uh, that night. Go ahead to the next. And... Uh, we had a pastor's prayer summit uh, just a couple weeks ago in February, and, and Evan is in this picture, so sorry for the one that you weren't in, but uh, uh, we have had a time of uh, about a day and a half just getting away, 
really having some fellowship time and really getting into some, some very uh, powerful and deep ministry time um, with the Lord and with each other. So I think that's the last one. Yes, we begin and end with prayer. So, uh, like I said, thank you for, for inviting me this morning. And when Evan gave me the, uh, the topic for what he wanted to, uh, to have me share on of, of work and worship, I thought, oh, goody, I like this. This is going to be fun. Uh, and, and Mark gave me less than two hours for this morning. So, I'm, I'm sorry, Mark. I think Evan's the one who sets the parameters. I, I would... I, my background is ministering uh, in a bivocational capacity. Uh, for many years, I've done construction work, owned businesses, but also traveled internationally doing ministry work as well as ministering here in the United States. And so it's very interesting because in, uh, in Africa, two hours would be just getting started. Uh, so I can, but I won't. So this morning, the, uh, the work and worship uh, topic, the, uh, the thing I, I wanted to, to bring, as a t- I don't like to title things, but uh, Evan asked me for a title, so I had to make one up. Don't hold me to it. Uh, was the sacred and secular. Um, <clears throat> I have a conviction that you don't teach anything that you're not doing. So the Lord has, has set us into many different situations where... Um, I have the experiences that, uh, that are the basis of, for what the Lord gives me to teach. And I'll share a few of those very briefly as we go this morning. But there's a, there's a thought for, for a long time that's been in the church of there's the sacred, the things that happen in the church, the ministry in the church, and then everything that's secular in the world, everything outside of the church. And we have, we have tended to compartmentalize those. Those who are called to ministry do, uh, do the sacred work, and those who are, are secular have a less than position sometimes in our mind of being able to, to minister. But the Lord has called us to worship, not just in this house, but to worship with everything we do uh, throughout our, our daily lives and encountering those who are around us in, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and, and all of the areas where we, where we see and interact with people. So the question that I, that I have, I, I pose a lot of questions. I, uh, I see in Scripture that one of the things that was, was used quite a lot, especially in Jesus' ministry, was questions. And I've been accused of asking questions that make people uncomfortable. So just fair warning. Uh, so one of the questions that the Lord asked me is, uh, years ago was, who's in ministry? How many of you are in ministry? Oh, yeah, you guys see where I'm going already. Great. Because the, the, the concept that we've had for, for a long time and in a lot of circles is that there's those who are doing the sacred work and then those who are doing secular work. And the number of hands that, that were raised uh, is very encouraging, especially as you are disciples making disciples. So the pastors are not spiritually more important in engaging with people than truck drivers, nurses, bankers, those who serve in government or bagging our groceries. We're all called to be salt and light. I've had this question in the back of my mind of, obviously not this congregation, because I just saw a whole bunch of hands go up, but in that scripture of salt and light, what is the basket that keeps our light from being shown to the world? There's all sorts of things that I've had in, in, uh, 
in an answer or a possible answer to that question. But if we're to be light, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden, uh, no one puts that under a basket. But we are to, to let our good deeds be uh, shine for all to see. Um, the world should see us and say there's something different about these people. So our work can be worship unto the Lord, but it's also a testimony to the world around us. So in Colossians 3, and I, I appreciate that you printed the scripture references uh, in, the, in the, uh, the notes here to make sure that I actually remember where I'm going, because I can rabbit trail. Uh, but Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive your inheritance as your reward, reward for you are serving the Lord Christ. Jesus and his disciples ministered everywhere they went. They had temple ministry, but they had ministry to the people. As I was praying this morning, I really wanted to figure out how do we work the, the, the story of the Samaritan woman into the, into, the, uh, into the message this morning. So now I don't have to. Thank you for, for uh, reading that this morning. So, Clara, thank you uh, for sharing that. It saves, us, saves me a whole lot of, of uh, scripture reading there. But this is an example of ministry to people that Jesus had while he was on the earth, one of the other examples that I see is a story of Philip uh, with the eunuch. It's not ministry in the temple, it's ministering to those who are outside in society. So the, the command that we've been given, those of us who are in vocational ministry, one of those commands is found in Ephesians 4. And so I'm going to read uh, verse 11 to 16 as part of the text this morning. So now these gifts... Christ has given the church. I'm going to pause right there. The, the word gifts um, in, in some other translations is called grace. These are the graces that God has gifted his church. And I love the, uh, the one definition of grace, uh, which is divine enablement. The grace of God is the divine enablement, his power to be able to do whatever it is that he's tasked us to do. So if to some... So he gave these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So this is the vocational ministry side, the, what some would say is the sacred work, the full-time pastors and, and ministers being able to equip those to be able to be the salt and light. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge in the Son of God that we mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So this, this sacred work is to equip those who are to be ministers, who are supposed to be coming into unity, which is, if you haven't picked up on that, is a big piece of what we're doing with the Nebraska Christian Leaders Forum, that the knowledge of, of God's Son will be made mature and measuring up to full and complete standard, which is perfection, is holiness in Christ, which we will never attain on this side. So there's always this work to be done of training up and equipping. We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing up in a way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love.
As I've prayed and, and sought the Lord over this scripture for, for years now, there's, there's some aspects in here that the Lord began to show me and, and point out to me. It was one that the, the, the vocational ministries, their purpose is to train the, the saints, the, to train those who are living in an area in a secular society that the vocational ministers might not be at, might not be able to go to, but there's other places that we live and we do life. So the Lord is, is asking us to mature, to grow up and to add, be part of the body of Christ ministering in those areas and the, having that be part of uh, our work that we do for him. But he makes the body fit together perfectly. In the United States, we have a very strong individual identity. Um, it comes, I think it comes from the founding of our country. Uh, where we are independent and individual, and we have, we have that hardwired into us as Americans. Other parts of the world, there's much more of a community aspect. There's, there's everyone living life together in, in much closer proximity than we do here in the United States. So what does that look like here as we become part of the body of Christ? Well, we have our local expressions of each congregation in the cities, but the body of Christ is not just a congregation. We know that there is a global body of Christ. We know there is a bride that Jesus is coming back for, and it's a singular bride. He's not coming back for brides. Uh, we, are, we are to be one body of Christ, the, the church that Jesus is building. So the question that we have had, and it actually was one of the things that led to founding this, the ministry, was what does it look like going from an individual, so fam, individual families making up a, a church or a congregation, individual congregations as an expression of the body of Christ, and then what is the, the in-between from that to the global body of Christ? I began to pray over the churches in the city, and the Lord began to show me that there is different giftings and different abilities that he's given, not just individuals, but churches, the corporate expressions of the, of the body of Christ. And what happens when those corporate bodies and those corporate expressions of the giftings that God has given begin to come together in, in the fullness that's referenced here in, in Ephesians 4? Each part is supposed to fit perfectly together. Some of the scriptures that I talk about regularly when I'm, when I'm describing what the ministry does is Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, where it says, uh, there should, we should not say, I don't have need of you. Uh, but there's, there's a segmenting uh, in the United States, I think because of some of the individualism that we have, where we tend to come together with those that are just like us and we neglect everything else. And one of the things that I, I really appreciate about your pastor is he is very conscious to connect, to reach out to those who are on their own in the city, especially the pastors, and to be able to say, hey, let's come together. Let's see the body of Christ come together and let's see how we can equip the saints so that we might be able to be effective in doing the work of ministry. In Joshua 1, we're commanded to be strong and courageous, not be afraid or discouraged, but the Lord is with us wherever we go. So as we come together as the gathered church and as we scatter and we are sent out into the world, into the secular world as ministers, the Lord is, is commanded us to be strong and courageous. So I take this to the, the New Testament in Acts where the believers were speaking the name of Jesus and they were receiving persecution for it. 
and they prayed for boldness. One of the things that I've looked at of what does it look like if we're going to be ministers to the, to the society around us and to the world around us is that we have, uh, we have things in the correct place. First, we have our relationship with the Lord. We have our relationship with each other to be able to strengthen each other and pick each other up. But one of the challenges that I've, that I've seen is, is in my own prayer life, having the focus shift from myself and the individual mindset to those who are around me. Uh, several years ago, I, I purposed that we would connect with our neighbors. Um, one of the things that I, I, I wonder on the impact it had on the church is air conditioning. I know it sounds really weird. Uh, but I remember my grandparents who didn't have air conditioning and everybody sat on the front porch and talked across the street to each other. And I thought, well, now we have garage door openers where we drive into the garage, shut the garage door, go in our air-conditioned house, and we never see each other. So we purposed that we were going to begin to connect with the neighbors. We were going to connect with those who were around us. And the Lord's really, as we've been intentional to say, Lord, uh, I've been accused of praying dangerous prayers. As we've, as we've prayed some dangerous prayers, um, Lord, anywhere you want to use us, anywhere you want us to go, which is, I can tell you stories for days about what what happens when, uh, when you pray this way. May, we wanted to be available uh, to be able to engage in, in more deliberate ways. I had lived life for quite a while in business, and just like I would say that uh, in a lot of ways the body of Christ is segmented, that there's this group over here, there's this group over here, there's, there's the eyes and ears that are huddling together with other people who see things and, and hear things, and there's those who are doing um, compassion work as the hands and feet of Jesus. But having all of that come together, I began to ask the Lord, well, what, is this, what does this look like? What does this look like in our own life? And I was living life segmented, just like the body of Christ is segmented. I had compartments and boxes. So we had the work box, and we had the family box, and we had the church box, and we had the ministry box. And while we really wanted to, or I really wanted to be able to say, yes, the Lord, the Lord can do whatever he wants in any of, them, any of those spaces, it wasn't actually true. I, I had ministry responsibilities, but I didn't really think and pray, Lord, how do you want to use me in business? How do you want me to, to be a witness for you? How do you want me to minister on a job site? How do you want me to minister as we're having uh, conversations uh, in the grocery store? How do you want me to have conversations with our neighbors? So a year ago, uh, we had some neighbors that we were very, very good friends with, lived right next door, wonderful believers. And uh, they, they came and said, hey, we're moving, which uh, was kind of a shock, especially if you remember a year ago, houses were selling in about 30 seconds. Uh, so they told us and then their house was sold and about two weeks later they were gone. And they said, well, you're, there's going to be a new family that moves in, or a new person that moves in, sorry. And you're going to really enjoy uh, getting to know them. It's a young person. Uh, she's buying the house for the first time. I said, okay, great. So we've, we've turned our place into an urban farm. We figured we have to have something to be able to, uh, and a reason to connect with our neighbors. 
So we go around and give produce, and we have bees and chickens, so there's eggs and honey and all of these things. And if you show up with a gift in your hand, then, you know, the door's usually a little more open than, hi, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I, I try not to be the awkward Christian um, striking up the random hard conversations right out of the gate, but really develop the relationships. So as, as we uh, got to know our, our neighbor who moved in, we were very, very reserved and very uh, withdrawn even from uh, being able to engage in conversations. And it took a lot of work to be able to bridge that gap. Well, come to find out that... Uh, this person who moved in lives a lifestyle that is 180 degrees opposite of how we live and our beliefs. And through the course of, of many small conversations began to just show the love of God to this person and see that the walls come down. And, and at one point last year, heard for about an hour the things that had been done and the difficulties that, that this person had had in the rejection they had seen from their lifestyle. It's, uh, it was to the point where at the end of that conversation, I thought, wow, that was really something that the Lord used. Um, and I didn't think anything of it until two days later when we got a, a note in our mailbox that said, thank you so much for your kindness and thank you for your, your caring and your, and your listening. Um, and just totally unexpected to, how, how many times do we receive a, a thank you note for just listening to someone share for, for an hour what their burdens are and what their heart is? Well, this, this person we've, we've gotten to know over the years, well, over the year, I should say, and we had an interesting experience uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, she, said, she sent me a text message and said, uh, it's winter, we haven't really seen each other that much. Uh, but sent us a text message and, and said, hey, can you help? Um, she sent this message and said, my wife and I are, are getting divorced. Um, can, can you come over and can you talk and can you maybe help me? And I thought, without the relational peace and without the, the, the boldness to continue pursuing a relationship and, and not condemning and not judging, now there's a place of vulnerability uh, in, this, in this relationship where there's actually not just a thank you for, for listening, but a, a reaching out of, hey, can you help? I didn't have that when uh, years back I was so busy working that everything was, okay, this, this is a customer, this is a business transaction. Things have shifted, as the Lord said. This is how I want you to be able to minister to people, and this is how I want you to connect. One of the, the challenges that he's dealt with me on is the, the thought of evangelism and discipleship and, and the paradigm that we've had there. I don't know if, if everyone has this perception, but I had this perception of however I was taught that evangelism is preaching the gospel. And discipleship is once you come to the Lord, now you need to be raised up as a disciple. Lord asked me, why do you think that is the way that it's supposed to be? So I went to scripture and started delving through and reading through scripture. And uh, of course, one of the, the key scriptures, there's, there's two key scriptures of what the Lord told us to do as, as the church. One being Matthew 28, 
It says, Jesus told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Okay, that's discipleship. So that's, that's for those who've come to the Lord. So there's evangelism, we lead them to the Lord, and then we disciple them. The Lord said, why, why is that your perception? Well, that's, that's what it says. He said, is that what I modeled? I thought, how did Jesus model? Obviously, John 4 was a, was a model of, of reaching someone that was following him, but the discipleship didn't happen until after. But then I thought about the 12. Began to realize, how many of those disciples were disciples when Jesus called them? When did they become disciples? Does anybody know when the disciples actually went from being a fisherman and a tax collector and the other professions to being a disciple? It's one of the questions that I've, as I've thought about, and I, and I think of in light of we're called to make disciples, they became a disciple when they agreed to follow Jesus, but not follow Jesus that they had given them their life to him because they didn't know that he was the Messiah at that point. They didn't know that he was their savior. He called them to follow them and he discipled them before they had the, well, who do you say that I am? Question. It's kind of shifted how I look at discipleship. There's all sorts of people that we've included and invited in to conversations that we wouldn't have previously because they hadn't come to the Lord. They hadn't accepted Jesus as their Savior. They hadn't confessed with their mouth that he is the Lord of their life. Uh, we've, we have done a, a house church in Aurora for a while. And when we started that, there was a couple of the young guys. These were 24, 25-year-old uh, young men who had served in the Navy together. And they all got out of service around the same time and moved to Aurora, Nebraska. A couple of them got radically saved and, and transformed, um, and when they did, they started to have questions and started to develop this incredible hunger uh, for Scripture. So the person who was uh, the mother-in-law of, the, of one of the young men who got saved said, these guys are still swearing like sailors, they're, they're covered in tattoos, they still have the long hair, they look scraggly. Uh, I don't know what to do with them. Can you come and help? And I said, sure. Let's, let's, let's start meeting. So a couple of the guys who were, were there had given their life to the Lord. They had, uh, they had committed that Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm a follower of him. And then there's the other half, one of which uh, the gentleman said, I want to go to Valhalla when I die. Obviously not a believer and not a follower of Jesus, but we began to disciple and went through what does it mean to follow the Lord, to walk with the Lord and, and obey his commands. We started to have these conversations of what are the commands that the Lord has given us. That was the discipleship we started. But instead of saying you can't belong, you can't be in community until you are a believer, we said, why don't you come in community and see what it means to be a believer? Why don't you come let us minister to you, let, hear the word, and be discipled even ahead of accepting Jesus as Savior. 
I, I wonder if this is, and I'm not saying this because this is, I just ask lots of questions, but it's made me wonder is of when, when was it that the disciples became the disciples? They left everything and followed, but when did they get saved? Was the discipleship first or was the evangelism first? What the young man who wants to go to Valhalla a year ago moved from Aurora back home to Georgia. So his mother came up here. They drove up with, to pick up his things and, and move back to, to Georgia. And he called me and said, hey, are you in town today? Um, my mom and I are coming back. We're coming through Lincoln. Are you available for lunch? I said, well, I can be. And so we met and his mom sat and told me uh, as we were, we were talking and was able to, to share with his mother and he said, my son has done nothing for the last 18 hours but talk about the times that you guys are together and the ministry. And he's still not a believer. He still thinks he wants to go to Valhalla. But we've been discipling him, and there's a foundation now of Scripture in his, in his, uh, in his spirit that he wouldn't have had before. I, I fully believe that at some point he will give his life to the Lord because of the things that he's seen and the hunger that he has. He spent this entire trip with his mother talking, and I was able to minister to his mother and just be able to, to have the relational pieces of, hey, we know you're not a believer. We assume that everyone who's in the church is a believer. I think we might be surprised sometimes uh, what, we, what we might really find. Uh, just because you're in a, in in fellowship and in community we can't uh we can't we can't assume where someone's at i was sat in a church for a very long time being discipled before i ever actually committed my life to the lord so our call is is to be disciples and something the lord has been having me do in the last year as i've ministered different places is bring out the point that we have, the, we have two things that the Lord gave us. The Great Commission, which we just read, and the Great Command, love God and love your neighbor. The, uh, the thing that I've realized is we call it the Great Commission, but there's a, there's a piece of the Great Commission that some of us have missed, and that's the actual commissioning. Uh, I served in the military for a while, and so we have commissioned officers, the Lord gave us the commission to do this. And from the raised hands at the beginning, I know a lot of you have accepted that commission. But as we, as we look at what's done in the church and what's done in the world with those around us, as we are the church, as we are sons of God, as ministers of his, have we accepted the commission to make disciples? And if not, can we pray that the Lord would give us an awareness that this is what he's called us to do. And it might not look what we like what we think it's going to. I was not expecting to have a relationship where we was going to be able to speak into a, a neighbor um, the way that we have. Or to be able to disciple somebody who has very long hair, very scraggly, <laughs> former, former sailor who wants to go to Valhalla. But he calls me his pastor. He's not even, a, he's not even saved. I know he's not saved. He would tell you he's not saved. But I, I fully believe that we need to accept that commission that the Lord has given us. We need to learn what it looks like to love. There was even the scripture, um, 
at the beginning. Now I'm not going to be able to find it. But that we were able to minister the truth in love. The truth has to be wrapped in love as we accept that commission to, to make disciples, to give grace. So I just wanted to issue that challenge to you that uh, there's lots of things that we hear that are preached. Um, I, have, I have a conviction that when I hear a message, I try and find where it can be applied in my life. So this is my, my closing thought, is as a church that is disciples, making disciples, and Evan and, and I have had lots of conversations, what does that look like, what does that mean? How do we gauge whether we're effective in making disciples? The first thing is being able to have the boldness to let the Lord use us how he wants and to realize this is something he's commissioned us to do. It wasn't a great suggestion. Um, so, Evan, I'll, I'll let you uh, clean up whatever you want to clean up. <laughs> but that's just the encouragement that I wanted to bring. Realize that we, we have the value that the Lord has given us the command uh, to be ministers, to be salt and light, and to be able to engage those who are around us in society. Amen.